listening to the Rent Roll Radio Show with Sterling Chapman. Hey, Rent Roll Radio listeners. I'm your host, Sterling Chapman. Welcome back. Joining us today is Chris Salerno. He is the founder of QC Capital Group. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Super excited to be on here and add value to all your listeners. Awesome. Chris, can you give us just a rundown of kind of where you came from, what your story is, how you got into real estate? Yeah, for sure. So I started out in single family industry. Let's step back even further. As a little kid, I was just so fascinated about real estate. I remember riding my bike through a luxury neighborhood that we we did not live in, but I would sneak under the gate because it was gated. And I'd just ride my bike and I'd tell myself one day I'll live in one of these houses. And it's just so fascinating because real estate is so different. It's not the same over and over. It's always going to be different, always going to have different challenges, especially what's going on right now with COVID-19. So I was just always fascinated about it. So I went to Winthrop University, studied business entrepreneurship, left early and got into real estate, sold residential real estate here in Charlotte, North Carolina. And that's where I've lived for over 13 years. Very quickly gained a success track record, which landed me in the position of operating the number one team in the Carolinas. I was able to make them 46% profitable in one year compared to their three years of being stagnant with no growth. And I felt like I hit a ceiling. And then I realized when you play the game Monopoly, there's no brokerage in real estate. So I said, okay. I said, I need to own real estate. So from there, I started studying what asset class was the strongest between 08 and 2012. And it was multifamily. Even articles now that if you follow me on social media, I'm blasting out there. Multifamily is still the strongest asset class with this COVID-19. Yes, it may take an impact, but it will recover faster than any other asset class. And I hopped into it and just gave it my all. Uh, Like we chatted before, I don't do anything part-time. I do it 100%, 110%. And we were able to acquire a little over 40 million and 364 units just within seven months. And this year, our goal is 100 million assets under management. It may take a little impact because of what's going on, but we're still out there sourcing and buying deals. Awesome. Well, that sounds like you've put together quite a few accomplishments. So yes. You Can you take us back and tell us about how you started to approach your first multifamily deal? That's quite a, quite a jump from selling single family houses to buying a large apartment community. So what does that look like? Yeah. So we, I was touring an asset that was 91 units and we only focus over a hundred units, primarily be assets for our company. And I was touring, and this is when we first got started. So we didn't have that criteria when we first got started. You know, when you first get started, you're like, let's buy anything we can get our hands on. But we were looking at a 91 units here in Charlotte and I'm always, uh, I'm a guy about options. And when you know me and all my team members that work for us know that I love options. So if you come to me with a situation give me options in that situation. Yes, I can find out my options, but I like to figure out all my options and then choose. So after touring this 91 unit, I looked adjacent to the property and I said, what's that property? And and the broker's like, well, that's a 44 unit. I said, well, would the seller be willing to sell? Because I want it all. 135 units, let's do it. And after he took a look at it, seller was willing to sell. Unfortunately, I lost out in best and final to the 91 unit. So about a week later, I called him back up. I said, hey, is the 44 still available? And he said, yes. I said, well, numbers make sense. Numbers are really good, actually. Let's go ahead and see what we can do. And we were able to acquire it, which we were very excited about. So it was an off-market 44 units. And then that's when our criteria switched to minimum 100 units, primarily B assets. So why did your criteria switch? 
because it's just like why I left the single family industry. And as you can, uh, as you can see right here, my whiteboard, it, it's explaining single family versus a 10 plex versus a hundred units. And it's just economies of scale of 44 units is you're going to put the same amount of work into it as you would a 300 unit apartment complex. 44 may even give you more of a headache but your profits are going to be a lot larger on in that 300 unit apartment complex. Plus, when it comes to numbers during this, you know, COVID-19, I'd rather have a 300 unit apartment complex because if 50 people can't pay, you still have a good chance that things are going to still cash flow. When it comes to a 44 unit, if five people can't pay, you know, you're going to probably have to come out of pocket. But we we make sure that everything's good with 44 during these times and we're looking great for it. And that property will perform phenomenally because of the location. But it was the economies of scale. So that's when I just said minimum 100, which we will then creep that up to a minimum of 150. Okay, cool. So how are you funding these deals? I'd imagine you raised money. Yeah, great question. So we raise money the syndication style. So we syndicate each property and that's how we raise money through very strong relationships that we built. As we speak today after this, I have a call with our attorney to get more information about creating a fund. So we will be going the fund route. I would say towards the end of this year, we will have a fund that will be open uh, that will be deploying it into multifamily assets. But as of right now, we are doing the syndication route. So how did you start raising money in the syndication route? Because uh, I, mean, I think most of our listeners are struggling with the concept of like not raising money to going out and raising a couple million dollars. So what were the steps to that process? How did that evolve? Yeah, I think a lot of people struggle with raising money. I think, you know, your first deal is extremely the hardest. But when it comes to raising money, it's building strong relationships with potential investors, with the investors you currently have, and with other co-sponsors. It's just building very strong relationships, having everybody know what your mission statement is, what your goals for the company, where do you see the company, how, how everybody's going to grow with the company. I think that's extremely important. And when a potential investor aligns with that, then you can just grow a phenomenal company and it's a lot easier to raise capital. Now, don't forget the investor invests into the entity. They do not invest into your company. They invest into the entity that the property owns. So I know a lot of people get confused about that, but they don't actually invest into your company. They invest alongside of you into the entity. Got it. So what is the QC and QC Capital stand for? QC stands for Queen City, as our headquarters currently right now are in Charlotte, North Carolina, which QC stands for the Queen City of Charlotte. But late last night, my fiance said, well, why don't we make another baby? Because we just named a baby Cruise. Why don't we make another baby and put a Q on there? And that's what it can be stand for. So I said, okay, well, give us some time because we have a three-month-old. I said, give me some time. I'm barely sleeping at night as it is. I have an eight-month-old and we're ready for another. It's the other way around. I want, I want another one now. And my wife said, give me some time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, cause I'm, I'm sleeping one eye open and then waking up early to, you know, get to work and all that. So uh, I'm like, just give me some time. Let's, let's enjoy him. Let's let him grow to two to five and then we'll have another one. <laughs> gotcha. So you're naming the baby after the company instead of the company after the baby. Well, yeah, that's what uh, the fiance suggested. So <laughs> you're probably, you're probably limited with the type of names you can come up with that start with Q. Yes, it's probably a very small pool. And uh, we named our uh, our newborn Cruz Alexander Salerno. And I wanted a strong, dominant 
full my, name. My son's name is Alexander. So we were bouncing back. Alexander Cruz, Alexander Cruz. So we're just like, why don't we just call him Cruz Alexander? And we love both of those names and we just couldn't figure it out. So that's what we named him. And we were very happy with it. But I wanted a strong dominant name when he's out taking over the company one day, hopefully. Awesome. So what type of assets did you you say you're looking into? Yeah. So right now we're looking over a hundred units, primarily B assets. We will look at A minus. It just depends. But right now, primarily B assets is what we're focused on. And what markets are you focused on? So primarily the Carolinas. So you're looking at Charlotte, Raleigh, Greenville, South Carolina, and Charleston. We are looking into Atlanta, Orlando, and Jacksonville. But right now it's primarily the Carolinas. As we grow and expand, we will hop into those other markets. So what have, what have been your biggest challenges expanding? Ooh, yeah. Building relationships is always a big challenge. And one way I do that, and I'll give a golden nugget to all your listeners as they're growing a business. One way I do that is I don't reach out to a broker or someone said, hey, do you know this individual? I'll say no. And I don't reach out to them personally. I always ask for them to do an email introduction. So with my brokers, if I'm looking at an asset and I know I know that same company and when it's in multifamily, you really have three to four large companies, Newmark Knight Frank, Cushman and Wakefield, JLL, Marcus and Millichap's not big here in Charlotte, but those are the really big companies that we've noticed that really CBRE too, put out great quality assets. So if, if I'm looking, for example, in Atlanta or Orlando or South Florida, and I knew it was with a Newmark Knight Frank agent, I'm going to reach out to the previous Newmark Knight Frank agents that I've built relationships with. And I'm going to say, hey, we're looking at this asset in South Florida. Can you go ahead and do an email or introduction to Sterling for me, please? I'd love to ask questions about the deal. So they'll do an email introduction. And when they do that email introduction, because they're with the same company, it kind of takes down that wall where I don't have to build up that trust and that relationship, you know, over time, it kind of takes that down where it's a lot easier to build it up and go over that hurdle, which I found extremely helpful. And I ensure that our acquisition specialist, he came from a broker background of Marcus and Millichap. So he's also able to build that relationship strong with the brokers as I am too, is because I have that broker experience and they like that. And most brokers want to end up coming on to the ownership side of the deals. Do you let most of the brokers come on to the ownership side of the deals? Well, I mean, when it comes to it as they all want to end up one day being a owner operator. Ah, I gotcha. Um, so us used to being a broker has definitely, you know, it's built that relationship with them because we used to be a broker. Now we're owner operator and they want to do that same thing. So they open up more to us. But I've had a couple brokers reach out to me that want to come on to our next acquisition, which I'm, I'm all for it. They've reached out to me by the blue and said, we love what you're doing. We love where you're going with the company. Let us know on your next acquisition and we'll invest. So I'm all for if brokers want to invest. So what does your company structure look like? How many people are on your, te- your direct team and who wears which hats and kind of how does, how does that evolve from from you being a broker and just going, well, I want to go in and I want to go and buy apartment complexes. Fill in the gap for me. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, so I'll start from the beginning as any entrepreneur, no matter what career you're in, creating Apple, creating Google, Microsoft, you do it all. I remember I was watching a documentary, I believe of Warren Buffett. 
And he said, when we, when we first got started, I would physically write checks to all the shareholders. So when it starts out, you do everything. So I wore every hat, acquisition, underwriting, investor relation, you name it, I did it. And as we evolved, I did not hunt for the individuals who work with us. And that's a big thing to me. I let them find me. And then they also refer people to me. As a lot of people know, Grant Cardone let off a handful of people. And my underwriter knows someone who is in their investor relations role that now we're talking to bring him on to our company. So that's how I like to grow a company uh, within that is very tight niche. I don't want to throw something out on LinkedIn, which I may as you know, as we grow a company, our goal is to have 10 to 15 billion under management and to grow a large multi-billion dollar company. We'll have to, you know, post stuff like that. But I, I like to really hire within with a tight niche starting off as our foundation. So once my underwriter actually found me, I decided to bring him on board and then leverage that. And then when it comes to acquisitions, my acquisitions specialist added value to me. And then from there, I decided to bring him on. Then now we have an intern. So I'm basically investor relations in reaching out to potential investors and building strong relationships with them where we have an acquisition specialist who reaches out to brokers, builds relationships with brokers. And also I built those relationships so brokers don't necessarily want to go to someone new now. They want to still come to me. So I make sure he's CC'd on all emails, off-market deals. I make sure if I'm having lunch with a broker, he comes so they can build that transition as well. Sure. Yeah, slowly transition. And then we have an underwriter who uh, is going to be leaving a very, very large company and he's coming on full-time for us. Awesome. So how do you structure your deals between your general partnership and your investors? Great question. Yeah, each deal's different. I can give you an example of what we're looking to do, but each deal's different. So I can't give exact numbers, but we're doing a waterfall structure. So class A members is a 10% preferred return annually, minimum $100,000 investment, and they do not get to participate in the sale. Class B members are a minimum $50,000 investment. That is a 7% preferred return, and they do get to participate in the sale. So that's a waterfall structure that we are slowly implementing and more than likely will Im implement on our next acquisition, but I can't dive deep into any numbers or anything like that because each deal is different. So can you walk through the numbers of a, a deal? Do you have a past deal that you can give I us? do, but I cannot walk through numbers because of the structure we've done those deals. It would be against SEC to throw out numbers. So unfortunately, I cannot. But on our next offering, if anyone's on our emailing list, they'll be able to see how we structure them. So are you doing 506C offerings? So we've done 506C offerings in the past, but we're more than likely we'll be doing 506B offerings because we do not market. But in that 506B, we, we do know that we are allowed 35 sophisticated, but we do not take sophisticated. We only take accredited investors. And we've built prior relations more than one month before that deal's gone under contract with those investors. Gotcha. So what advice do you have for anybody else that's looking to transition into the 
syndication business? Yeah. So before I made that full leap, I educated myself for about six months. I read PPMs. I went on the government website, SEC, to read PPMs. I listened to podcasts like yours, like ours. I went on YouTube, understood you know, the lingo. And then I hired a coach. And that coach has definitely projected me to the next level by understanding, limiting my mistakes and making connections to me. So that's been extremely beneficial. So I would say getting into the space, depending how serious you are, if you want to really grow a huge business, then you definitely should hire a coach, hire a mentor. But if you don't, then you can definitely go ahead and do it yourself. It just all depends. You know, if your goal is to make 10,000 a month, you can easily do that yourself. If your goal is to make 5 million a month, you're going to have to have a mentor. You're going to have to have a business coach to limit your mistakes to get there. So as you, as you can probably tell, our goal is extremely high, as I stated before, with a multi-billion, 10 to 15 billion under management within 10 years. So we're definitely going to have more business coaches and coaches to ensure that we are limiting our mistakes and we're growing to a substantial level. So educate yourself before you even get into the business. Once you have yourself educated well enough, then start to go out and acquire. I always tell everybody, invest as an LP so you can understand you know, how distributions are, how things are operated. Any LP investor that invests alongside of us, I always let them, if they want to really get more of a hands-on experience, I always let them get more of a hands-on experience. One, because I want to help educate everybody and I want everybody to grow and reach their goals. So if their goal is to become an owner-operator and do it themselves, then I'm more than happy to show them the ropes so they can understand it and grow. Awesome. How old are you, Chris? <laughs> I I just turned 25 a couple weeks ago. I normally don't give that out, but uh, That's I just awesome. turned 25 a couple weeks ago. Well, I think at this point you've earned the credibility to have that's that's a it's a bragging point to have accomplished that much by that age. I, we're on video, so I can tell you know <laughs> you don't have the wrinkles or the gray. So not yet. I <laughs> I'm, I this video I've have a little filter on it. By the time that three month old is eight months old, you'll have some oh. grays. <laughs> oh, I know, and I, I may have to go get Botox too by the time then. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so I, I always say, you know, and, and especially for those young listeners out there, and I get this sometimes, and you know, we're creating a fund right now, and our fund will probably be around a $500 million fund, uh, which, you know, will be difficult. And, you know, I know my age may come across conversations with large investors who are looking to deploy capital into it. But I always say, you know, business does not have a limit. Business does not have an age. You know, it comes down to really uh, experience into it, but it also comes down to that individual wanting to soak up all that experience. And I learned very quickly and I've learned very quickly on the real estate industry and how to make a profit and find good deals. And I think that's what comes down to it at the end of the day. They want to make sure they're getting a return on their investment. And I think anyone can do that. So it definitely comes down to soaking up as much knowledge from everybody and anybody. And I'm learning every day. Everyone is. I have investors who are 60, 70 years old. They're learning every day. So never stop learning. And as young individuals are out there, millennials are out there, the one thing that will hold you back is if you think you know it all because you, you'll never know it all. There'll always be someone that knows more than you. And even if someone may not seem like they know more, they may give you a golden nugget that may open your eyes to something. So never judge a book by its cover because it's super important to have an open mind depending on what meetings you're going into. I used to wear suits 24-7, <laughs> three-piece suits, three, four, $5,000 suits. 
that I work hard to get. And I love suits and I, I'll still wear them to large meetings and I love them. But I've learned that in this multifamily space, not a lot of people wear suits for the syndication route. Now, going to the fund structure, I'm sure a lot of people wear suits because that's more of a higher level. But in the syndication route, a lot of people don't wear suits. So a lot of time, I'll, I wear a sport coat with my company shirt on, like as you see, to build those relationships because you you want to mimic your business partner or you know an investor. You don't sure. want to come in overpowering because you want to come in with an open mindset. So that's just some advice I'd give to those younger listeners out there. We do that a lot. So I, in my day job, I, I manage a sales team and I, I always encourage my team, like, don't walk into a construction company wearing a tie, you know, what I'm you know what I'm <laughs> they'll tear you up. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta dress the part. You gotta identify with them. Save the suits for when you're going to the lawyer's office, you know, when you're oh, going- 100%. Yeah. So I definitely yeah, feel- I that. highly agree with that. So a lot of our show is typically getting eaten up by the specific numbers around the deal that because of your, your legal restrictions, you can't share. Is it possible that you could share your typical business plan with us? Oh, for sure. Do you add value? Do you buy distressed and fix stabilize yeah. them? Or how, what's your, your whole period? One question that pops into my mind is because, you know, a lot of people that I talk to are in the syndication space look for like C-class value add opportunities and there's a lot of cash flow in there. I know when you get up and closer to the A's, there's, there's a lot less cash flow. So can you elaborate on kind of like what's your business model and, and business plan for the assets you're acquiring is? Yeah, great question. So even if we're looking at a core A+, plus, we always look to add value. No matter what, we're adding value to the tenants there because we want a better place to live. Not saying the previous owner was able to provide a better place to live, but no matter what, we always add value to our properties. I always, you know, when it comes to a B asset that's outdated that we're going to go in and renovate that's our main focus is appreciation I see as a cherry on the top. But a nice V value add asset is going to be in a great location that is going to be appreciating. So that cherry is going to be on top there. But when it comes to a, a asset that you're going in and you're going to add value to it, that's what we do. So we go in, we fix it up, we make it nicer. We do increase rents, but we also look for other ways. Can we add washer and dryer rentals? Can we add trash valet? What can we do to you know for the little things to creep rent? up? Is there garages on site? Can we charge a little more for garages? You know, those little type of things add tremendous value to a property. So when it goes to our business plan, we really hone in and analyze the property to ensure that, you know, what can we do? There's a system that we use to own the Wi-Fi. So we can own the Wi-Fi and charge to the tenant $60 and we pay a company 15 and now we get that difference. So that adds tremendous value. So little things like that we look for for all of our deals to ensure that we're adding uh, as much value to the tenants and also the investors will get, um, get the projected returns that we had projected for the property. Uh, and, and what's your typical hold period? Yeah. So it all depends. You know, we underwrite for a five year. There's a couple deals depending on the deals. Uh, we have a seven to 10 year underwriting. But, you know, right now, if, if you asked me, for example, if I bought a deal two years ago and, and six months ago, if, if I knew we we're going to hit our projections, yes, we'll sell. I mean, everybody would want to sell to get their projections sooner than later. So if you could, you know, go for it. But if, if you can't, it's always good to have that, that option to extend it or to refinance and to keep the property a little longer. But we underwrite for a five, seven, and 10-year hold period. 
Awesome. So next question I have, how is everything going? And, and mind you, this, this episode won't air for a couple of months, so we'll be on the other end of it by the time. Yes. Hopefully we'll be on the other end of we it will. By, by the time. How is uh, COVID-19 affecting your business and, and your decisions to you know, buy or sell or... or, or yeah. So right now it's March 27th. So no really multifamily owner will understand what's going on until April 5th to April 10th because rents do uh, the first, it's late on the 5th. So we're not going to understand it till the 5th to the 10th. So we're all, you know, we're preparing for that. We've gotten with our property managers to work closely with them to ensure that, look, if you can't pay that full amount on a once a month, let's do it on a weekly basis. Let's, let's, take out little chunks on a weekly basis to ensure we hit that total amount. So we're watching that very closely. We've sent out notices at the beginning of March to ensure, look, if, if anyone's been affected, please contact us. Let us know if anyone's been affected so we can work a payment plan with you. So right now, everything's looking good, but I'll be able to know more come April 5th, April 10th. When it comes to underwriting deals, I just got two emails from a, bro or a lender this morning, but yesterday, the lending requirements have definitely Definitely um, gotten tighter. You have to have one year's reserves in. So every, all of our underwriting right now, we underwrite for one year of reserves upfront that we have to pay, and also one year reserves for investors to ensure that they're hitting their projections. So we're just doing that on a, as a safety note to underwrite very conservatively, just in case if this does last a couple more months, we're taken care of, and that our underwriting in the properties well taken care of. Awesome. So I know you've got your next meeting, so I'm gonna I'm gonna fast forward to our radio round. First, it's just three questions to help our listeners get to know Let's you a little bit better. First question is, what's your favorite book? Ooh, I have a lot, and I'm looking at them right now. I would say, and I'm reading a book right now, as you know, as we discussed about creating funds. So I'm, you know, really soaking up all the education right now, and it's called King of Capital, and Steve Schwartzman's in there. It's by David Carey and John Morris, and it's about how Steve Steve Schwartzman, the CEO of Blackstone, created Blackstone and left Lehman Brothers. I love that book. I love Mistakes Millionaires Make. That was a, a big touching book that I've read twice because it talks about individuals who've lost a huge net worth and brought it all back and things that you should definitely look out for your business. And then also Think and Grow Rich. I can go on and on, sure. but those are some big books I read. Awesome. What's your favorite quote? Ooh. I would say Warren. Right now, you know, there's a ton that I like, but right now I would say Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett, there's two of them. One's a statement, one's a quote. And one quote, Warren Buffett, or it's, both are actually statements. There's uh, two rules of investing. One, never lose money. And two, never forget rule number one. Right. Um, so I love that quote. The second one is, is here's, a, here's a toucher and I'll be real quick on it. As Warren Buffett stated, and I, you know, I'm a big about mindset, positivity, growth in your mindset because sure. your mind controls your whole body. It controls everything. And one thing that Warren Buffett says is that if I can give you any car in the world, Sterling, what car would it be? Pick a car, any car. Lamborghini. All right, Lamborghini. Now, the catch is, is you have to keep that Lamborghini for the rest of your life. You can't have another car. How would you treat that Lamborghini? Great. Like a baby, you, you'd sure. make sure no one touched it. You'd park in the back of the parking lot to make sure no one touched it. Now, why don't people do that with their brain? They only have one brain. A car you can trade in every month, every day if you wanted to. But your brain, you only have one brain. 
So why don't you give it the correct knowledge? Why don't you take care of it? Why don't you nurture it? Why don't you grow your knowledge? And that's always stuck with me is that statement that he's made. And I tell everybody that because it's true. Build your brain up into a positive, strong-minded brain because that's the strongest part of your body. It controls your body. It controls your decision. So if you treat it like it's your only car that you'll have for the rest of your life, then you'll grow a massive business. Absolutely. And that mindset, it seems to be working out well for you so far. Yes, I love it. I'm, I'm a big believer in it. Chris, where can our listeners find out more about you? Yes, you can find out uh, on Instagram, Chris underscore Salerno underscore. We do have a YouTube channel, Chris Salerno, but email me directly, Chris at qccapitalgroup.com. Our website is currently down and being rebranded. So once that's up, if you follow me on social media, you'll be able to see that. I also have a closed Facebook group where you can network alongside me and that's the Mindful Multifamily Network on Facebook. So that's where you'll be able to find me and connect. Awesome. Chris, thanks so much for joining the show. Thanks for adding value to our listeners. And I look forward to keeping up with you on social media. Likewise. Thank you so much for having me on. All right. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Rent Roll Radio Show brought to you by Crestworth Capital. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please hit the subscribe button and leave us a rating and review. You can also visit us at CrestworthCapital.com or RentRollRadio.com or follow us on Facebook at RentRollRadio or at CrestworthCapital. If you would like to reach us, feel free to shoot us an email at info at RentRollRadio.com or sterling at CrestworthCapital.com. We hope you come back next week to join us on some more of our journey. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.